Three years after George Floyd's murder, a celebration of his life at the very place where it ended. Tonight, how his family is honoring his legacy and the progress made since his passing with the Rise and Remember Festival. His Aunt Angela Harrelson is our special guest. All that and more as Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wachenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Raphael P. Roman. It has been three years since George Floyd's murder at the hands of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. The widely circulated video of Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes sparked a wave of marches and protests across the nation and led to a renewed focus on the continued legacy of racism in this country and especially on criminal justice reform. Now the site of Floyd's murder has been renamed George Floyd Square, and for the third straight year, a celebration called Rise and Remember will be held there to honor its namesake and celebrate the progress that has been made since his passing. And with us now to talk about the third annual Rise and Remember celebration is Angela Harrelson. Angela is George Floyd's aunt and the co-chair of the George Floyd Global Memorial. She joins us tonight as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative on poverty, justice, and economic opportunity in America. Angela, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, Angela, let me start first with this. Uh, the book you wrote after the death of your nephew is called Lift Your Voice, How My Nephew George Floyd's Murder Changed the World. Three years after his death, how much has George's murder changed your life and the life of your family? How is it still affecting you personally? Hmm. Well, I, I wrote that book, you know, it started as a journal that turned into a book. And I had a lot of emotions writing that book. And I didn't know if I was going to finish the book. But the love and the support that the world showed me gave, gave me that support to cross the finish line. And um, the whole thing has changed me, not just me, but I changed, it changed the world. And I think the most important thing it did for me it gave me a greater purpose in life. It gave me a greater purpose than I could ever imagine, than I, than I could ever know I could even do. And I, I'm, no, I'm not the same. You can't help after going through something like that. You, it can't help but change you. And, you know, sometimes it's still tough, you know. Um, at the community, we call it collective PTSD, you know, when things happen. It's just, it's just, it's just something that you just have to go through. I still get nervous about certain things. It's, it's only normal. Um, I do think every now and then I have the flashbacks of seeing the video. Um, 
and just learning how to work and deal with those emotions in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's turn to the to the Rise and Remember celebration, um, which will be taking place on the twenty fifth and the twenty sixth of this month. Uh, can you just give us a right off the bat a quick summary of what it is and how it got started? Well, Rise and Remember got started pretty much in the basement, and we wanted to do something, especially after you know the, the um, after getting justice. What can we do for the community, and not just for my our, the family stolen life, but stolen lives for other people. So it was a way for us to honor um, George Floyd, honor stolen lives. So we called it. We couldn't think of a name. I said, well, "Why not Rise and Remember?" And everybody said, yeah, that sounds good. So we did um, the Rise and Remember. And when we started, everyone started getting involved to help us. Everyone. So this year, our thing is, you know, Ubuntu. You know, it's a term that means I am because we are. And we wanted to add on to last year, we would heal us. And so our whole goal this year is how do we collectively work towards healing? Because we know we can do, we know we can make the possible out of the impossible. By what happened three years ago, how the community came in forcefully strong and caused a domino effect that went around the world. So now it's like, you know, we want to do, what can we do now? What can we do? How can we get the memorial built? How can we get buildings up? We want to go towards, now we want to see our visions. And that's what rising in the end. So we're going to break it down to the components of the celebration, which are a number, but but it's all or, or most of it is going to take place at George Floyd Square, right? Which, as I mentioned, is where this is the site where, where he was murdered. So let me just go back to that. I mean, you know, you talked about how sometimes you see the video and 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 it affects you. How does it affect you to be there knowing what happened there? The first time I went there alone, because before I've always gone about that. And my first walk alone when I went there, I remember people coming up alongside me, walking with me. I didn't know who they were. And since they were part of the community, it was they were community. So they came to me and they said, you know what? I'm Angela Harris and I'm the aunt. I said, yes, I am. And people just started coming up to me. And all of a sudden I realized they get this walk alone. That's great. Not making this walk alone. So I've come there by the strength of other people. And you know, Ralph, people come there from all over the world. You name the country they've been there. And I'm like, wow, you know, they still support us. They still believe in us. Mm -hmm. And it was just so touching to see. And what that did, it just builds my strength up every day. When I go there, I'm not alone. And I know that Perry, you know, you guys know it's George Floyd, is watching over that. And so it, it's a powerful, sacred moment. So that's how I get there. I go there because of the community. So let's talk about the components of the umbrella celebration and as many as we can given the time. Now, first of all, there's a two day conference. What will yeah. people experience in that conference or that the two day conference? conference? The conference is something new, but the conference, you're going to have a diverse, well-rounded speakers. You know, they're going to talk about, they're going to have um, group talks, they're going to have speakers. Um, um, just talk about racism, equity, you know, how can we start to process of healing, uh, resources 
what, what people can do to work towards healing and how we can be involved more and how we can help the community. It's going to be phenomenal. Right now we have uh, 25 speakers that are divided among the two-day conference. Now you're also going to have a candlelight vigil and there's also, and I, and I guess we understand what that, what that would be like. Um, and for time's sake, let me just move to the gala. You have and a yeah. gala. Galas usually are fundraising events. Is, yeah. is, is that what, what, what this is? And, yeah. and what will participants in the gala experience? Oh my goodness, the gala is going to be phenomenal. We have our, our keynote speaker, who is Indaba Mandela, who is the late, um, you know, who is the late grandson of Nelson Mandela, who was the president we knew of South Africa. So he cleared his schedule and said he'd be there uh, to be the keynote speaker. And we were just taking it off, you know. And then we're going to have the South African Choir for South Africa that's going to open this thing up. And that's going to be really amazing. We're going to have Sounds of Blackness there to help with the music part. And also, we're going to have George Ford Uncle. Uh, we call him Uncle Ike. And he's going to sing a song that wrote for George Ford. And we're going to have a live auctions. Um, we're going to have a gala bash afterwards. I mean, you don't want to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're from New York, but but we'll talk about what we can do if we can't go. But um, but where's the money, the money that you collect in this gala? Where are you uh, dedicating it to? Well, we have like we have like components of, of, the, of, of our organization, George Ford Global and George Wilbur Memorial is and it's, it's a it's a foundation about preservation and conservation. We have over 5,000 pieces of artwork that we have collected in the last three years. And we need to put that in a museum, you know? And so we have like big storage areas and we have people meticulously um, label this artwork. They call them archivists. They have a serial number and they carefully take care of this. And we have professionals show us. We also hired interns that we have to um, pay for um, from college to help us through this process. Um, and we have a, we, we just started an entrepreneurship program for people that's interested in that type of work. And one is, I can think of so many things because I know this time is short. But yeah, we're doing that and we're building on that. And also we want to build on having a permanent memorial in sure. Minneapolis. So you're going to have a festival, and that's free of charge, and it's yeah. and it's focused and it's targeted to families. Um, tell us a little bit about that. The festival, we're going to have um, national artists there. I'm not; they haven't told me who the two national artists there. I cannot wait; they want to surprise me. <laughs> mm. so anyway, we're going to have we're going to have vendors there. We're going to have a live music, food. We're going to have a kids zone there. We're going to have a wellness check there. We're going to have health fairs there, wellness fairs. Um, music, dance, it's just going to be amazing. You know, we're going to have speakers. We're going to have um, people that knew Perry personally that's that, that's going to come. It's going to be um, just wonderful. And the community, we look forward towards this. We look, um, this is something that the community every year because of what they've done in this fight for justice and this fight for equality. This is something they look forward to. You know, so, so as we discussed, or as, as and, and as your book talks about, um, uh, George Floyd's murder was an inflection point in this country. It changed the country. 
Uh, in fact, it changed the world. I remember watching a video on YouTube of a city in, in Spain in the middle of the pandemic, a, a country with really strict lockdowns, and there was a huge demonstration on behalf of George. So so it really changed the world, as your book says. Uh, what is, in the, in the short time that we have, with the minute that we have left, what's the most important change that has occurred that you think, that, that, that you're glad has occurred? Awareness and the acknowledgement and the validation that systemic racism and racism has existed in this country. That was the most, because it started a conversation and it's, and I've had some incredible, wonderful conversations with people that don't look like me, you know, and I'm, I feel proud to have those conversations. They're not always, you know, some of the conversations may not always be, you know, in my favor or healthy, whatever, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation. That was so, so listen, we have 20 seconds left. For those of us who live in New York are not going to be able to make it. If we want to make a contribution, what do we do in 15, 20 seconds? Oh, my goodness. You go to georgeforglobalmemorial.org. You know, if you're not going to be there, um, just go there, contribute, you know, check us out. We're doing some great things for the community. And we just hope this, what we're doing, can we can be the role model for all the um so, Angela, thank you so much. We're out of time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, you've been with us before. Thank yeah. you. And good luck in your celebration. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. It's been two years since George Floyd's murder led to thousands of protesters flooding the streets of New York City with the message that Black Lives Matter. Amid the push for racial justice, businesses boarded up their windows to prevent looting. And a group of artists saw an opportunity turning those plywood boards into canvases of their own. Hundreds of murals went up in the days following Floyd's death. And our next guest tonight had a front row seat to this history and photographed the artwork that popped up across Manhattan. Kurt Boone is an acclaimed urban author and photographer who since compiled the murals into the book Fresh Plywood NYC, Artists Rise Up in the Age of Black Lives Matter. And it's great to welcome Kurt to the show. Kurt, it's great to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Kurt, I want you to take us back to uh, the beginning of the protests after uh, George Floyd's death. What was the mood like in New York City? And what was it that made you head to Lower Manhattan just to see what was going on? Yeah, I uh, I was uh, watch, watching the news reports on uh, various channels, and uh, I you know immediately saw um, things were getting pretty much hectic um, on the streets, and um, uh, I saw it, and I wanted to capture it, so I grabbed my camera the next the next day, and uh, I went uh, downtown to to where I saw some of the protests. I first started in uh, Union Square. And there were a lot of uh, windows broken in the stores. And I started seeing workers put up uh, plywood um, right maybe the second, right after the protest happened, you know. And uh -huh. um, I started photographing that. And, and then I kept listening to the news reports. And they, they were telling me it was just various places in Manhattan. So not just Soho and Union Square, but in the... Uh, the west, the west side of 14th Street, uh, uh, even in Brooklyn. So it's a lot, a lot going on. But I, I decided as a photographer to limit myself mostly 
to to Manhattan, and that that was enough right there. And then, of course, uh, yeah. And then I was photographing the marches primarily. I did photograph the retailers as well, but most of the retailers just had, um, as the title of my book said, fresh plywood. And you could smell it because it was it was just brand new plywood, and so a lot of it was blank. But in some areas of the city, like Union Square, uh, Soho, they started writing negative stuff towards the police, and I, I photographed that. And you know, I continued to follow the marching every day, and uh, kind of built up, you know, a, a lot of photos about what was happening. And then you know, eventually, I saw an article in the New York Times that indicated that artists had started painting the plywood and so on. They had a few pictures of it in the article in the New York Times. And uh, that was around like June, I guess June 18th, June 20th. Mm-hmm. And then I went out the next day to photograph what the New York Times was reporting. Because I had already photographed Soho, but it had negative uh, marks on it towards the police, you know, graffiti marks towards it. So. I go back and immediately I, I started seeing these magnificent paintings on 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 plywood in Soho. And so my first two like really strong memories was with uh, on, on uh, Prince Street and Broadway. There's a train stop there with the Argo. And um, there was uh, one plywood, I don't remember the artist's name, but it was really decorative. And she happened to be a leader of a group called uh, Heart, Art to Heart. Right? Uh-huh. Art to Heart was like an early group that put a call out to artists to come and paint soul. So I photographed her, her, her paintings. And then across the street at uh, Pink, Store, Pink Store on the corner of uh, Prince and Broadway, there was another significant mirror I saw. And I said, wow, this is, this is a masterpiece. This is not like somebody coming out to say something small. They really wanted to make an impression with their art. And that piece is on the cover of my book, Fresh Plywood. Uh, artists Rise Up in the Age of Black, Ma- Black Lives Matter. And that artist was uh, Constance Patton. And eventually, I would continue photographing the plywood, you know, um, for, for the next, like, three months. So it was like May... End of May, June, July, August, and by September, I realized I had over three hundred murals, and I said wow. to myself, "You know what I'm going to do with this?" So I I, uh, I I reached out to one of my graphic designers. Her name is jo- Josephina Modesto. We call her JoJo, and I said, "Okay, let's take these three hundred murals. Let's don't make a, a fancy book out of it, but." Just put them in whatever order I give it to you and just leave it because I want people to believe me when I show them this. And so she did as I asked. She worked on it really quick, put it into a PDF file, and then she likes doing covers. So I gave her the two, the three images to put on the cover, and um, she made this beautiful cover. And I sent it out to my printer in Illinois and said, hey, I need give me 10 copies of this. I want to see what what the reaction was. Because I, I, me, myself, being a photographer and knowing how people react to stories, uh-huh. sometimes sometimes they don't believe it unless they see it, right? 
Well, so, of course, I, and I would imagine that the uh, that the stories that you were getting, at least not just what the art was conveying, but what at least perhaps you were hearing from some of the artists as to why they wanted to paint these uh, murals must have been very compelling. Well, you know, uh, Constance Patton, who's on the cover, she, she's a she's she's a native uh, Native American. She has strong, strong, strong. Uh, she has strong convictions about her heritage, and uh, and she wanted to put convey that to her art, you know, and not necessarily like pushing everybody to say you, she wants everybody to believe Black Matter, Black Lives Matter, but she wants to really convey the heritage where she came from. And, and putting that out, out on the streets is, is pretty, pretty significant for her. And she would go on to paint maybe at least 25, 30 murals in Soho. And uh, she would eventually form a group of artists that had painted. So it was interesting. Uh, as I photographed these these murals, artists were joining together and forming groups, right? And they would go around, look for empty empty plywood, and they would paint, you know. And so Constance Patterson formed a group with Amir Diop, who did about fifty murals himself. Mm -hmm. A young African American. Uh, he's about twenty years old, and he was out there every day. And he, a lot of his work is is, is protest driven, whereas you know, Constance is more uh, Native American uh, imagery. You know, but but it has a, a strong ethnic feel to it. Right? So there were different so, kinds of themes that was coming through with these murals. Absolutely, absolutely, and even the um, the significance about George Floyd. I mean, not just. George Floyd was uh, killed by police, police brutality, but Breonna Taylor, uh, many other names were being painted on these plywoods, right? And I got the impression that not, not just the artists, but the, the protesters themselves, they wanted to get in the face of these big corporations to say, you know, enough is enough. You know, let's, let's end this police brutality. And I just, you know, it was just massive. That I was seeing, and, and I think the artists, by them painting on their plywood, there was no escape. You had to kind of address it in some kind of way. So, um, well, you know, the fact that you were able to be out there and have the presence to capture some of these images, I'm wondering, do you know what happened to some of the actual physical artwork that was done on this plywood? I know that many of them were stolen. And the artists don't know what happened to them. So, um, I mean, there, there were artists who would paint beautiful murals and two days later was gone. So there's an ongoing thing inside the art community that painted out there where they're searching for these murals. Um, you know, I, I don't know, like, how successful they're going to be, but, you know, they, a, a lot of them were lost. And in some stores, felt that the murals were their property and they didn't give it back to the artists. You know, and wow. the artists, yeah, the artists can't do anything, you know, it's their plywood, it's their store, right? So some, some, you know, and then some some stores gave artists back the, the, the art piece. So there were a few artists that, you know, got some of their pieces back. In fact, in Union Square, there's going to be an expedition of maybe 10, 10 or 12 boards that's going to be out there. 
Well, it's going to be an expedition of, of, of boards. So, um, you know, I can send you that information. Uh, well, so some of them still, though, are like in circuit. Like you could still see some of the artwork uh, for at least the public. I'm wondering, uh, because you're not necessarily new to this, and I want the audience to also understand that you've been out photographing, uh, you know, just the streets of New York for years. So was there something that felt unique about these protests and the artwork that you were seeing as opposed to, you know, years gone by, perhaps, you know, with graffiti that was on the trains or on some of the buildings? Was there something that made this feel different? Well, well first thing, uh, 80 about 85% of that book is in Soho, which is a high uh, upscale retail district in New York City. So your, your top brands have stores down there. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind that, hey, this, this, this isn't normal. And then the second thing is, you know, they're being allowed to paint. There were no arrests uh, of artists painting these stores. Uh, it was just, uh, I never seen anything like it. And um, the artists kind of got, got a, you know, they, they formed their own community. And I thought that was kind of unique in itself. But uh, it, it was just something really unusual. And all the years I've been photographing the streets in New York, it's, it's nothing like that that's, that I've ever seen. And that I think will never be back again. That's just because it was, it was unique. Well, speaking of, and we've only got just a few seconds left, but I know that you also took a trip out to Minneapolis. So very quickly, with about 30 seconds, what did you take away from being able to see the actual uh, location of George Floyd's murder and also the artwork that came out of that city? Well, you know, uh, Minneapolis, George Floyd Square is very emotional. I mean, it just, it, it, could it takes your breath away. That's what I could say. It, you know, so many offerings uh, that were out there and, and just the citizens, of that, that community just uh, setting up this memorial for George Floyd and standing their ground was very, very impressive. And I got a chance to see some of the artwork out there as well. So it was, you know, it had a profound effect on me see, seeing George Floyd Square itself. And uh, I, I take that as a special moment in my life to be a part of this whole uh, tragic event and being able to document it you know, as a photographer and okay. hopefully, you know, save it, save it. For, well, for Kurt, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. We've run out of time. Um, but I want to thank you so much, Kurt Boone. You're the photographer. Your book, of course, is Fresh Plywood <laughs> NYC, Artists Rise Up in the Age of Black Lives Matter. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us and above all for taking the time to capture this moment in time for New York City. Thank you so much, Jenna. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.